Blog Talk Radio. Just so you won't forget that the white man is not a devil, but the white man is Jesus. You wouldn't be here if some devil had brought you here. Harlem wouldn't be run down if some devil had put us in this condition. Broad, Brooklyn, none of it would be run down. Watson, Los Angeles, sections of Detroit, South Side, West Side of Chicago. It wouldn't be run down if some devil hadn't put us in this position. I know some of you love them. I, I, Lord have mercy, child. I, 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 I just love everybody. <laughs> I don't care what them old Farrakhan and Elijah Mohammed people say. I, 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 I just love everybody. <laughs> Lord have mercy, child. I just can't hate nobody. <laughs> but you hate your black self. <laughs> if you didn't hate your black self, you wouldn't wear a scary curl. You wear it the way God gave it to you. You wear a button saying, I'm nappy, and I'm Go to jail. 
over your tuition So you learn his history But they got their history From chemical schools of mystery Eat your watermelon, you a white man nigga How the fuck you free with your brain against the devil's trigger How we let a came man give us knowledge on the side His degree, the 33, came from the third I calcified Where your grocery store, your structure, where your bank, where your land We be satisfied with crumbs coming from the master hand You the white man, bitch, you the white man, bitch With Barack Obama, Barack Obama was put in office for two reasons. One was domestic, one was international. Every president of America is given a domestic mandate and an international mandate. Barack Obama's international mandate was to make Africa and its resources safe again for Western exploitation, in particular through the AFRICOM program of putting United States military bases within African soil geographically located close to places with high levels of mineral reserve. So what's going on in Ghana right now? An agreement between the Ghanaian government and the United States to put a military base in Ghana. This is all strategic to make sure that if Africa ever decides to rise up and push back against European imperialism, a.k.a. white supremacy, they will not be in a military position to be able to do that. So Obama succeeded. And the reason he succeeded in Africa is because Africa, just like black America, just like black Europe, thought the presidency of Barack Obama was a blessing because we don't understand white supremacy and we don't understand politics. It doesn't matter whose face is on the cover. It doesn't matter whose face is out front. The only thing that matters is the color of the hand that makes the decisions. Barack Obama was a flunky, he was a functionary, he was a stool pigeon, and he was a puppet, and yes, he was a coon. Barack Obama did absolutely nothing to benefit Africa. He did absolutely nothing to benefit African people. Now, domestically, Barack Obama's job was to distract black people in America long enough for the government to take everything that our ancestors fought for, roll it up into one big ball, civil rights, voting rights, Affirmative action, equality, you name it, and roll it on over to the feminist movement, roll it on over to the LBGT movement, and roll it on over to the multicultural movement. So today in America, whenever you hear civil rights discussed, black people are not in the conversation. It's gays, it's feminism, or it's multiculturalism. They use Barack Obama to take everything black people fought for and give it to people who have never fought for black people. What do you know about the situation of black people in France? I'm somewhat familiar because I tend to study the international situation. Not thoroughly familiar, but I will say this. In all my travels, wherever I go, there's four things constant. I don't care if I'm in France, London. I don't care if I'm in South Africa, Nigeria. I don't care if I'm in Holland, Austria, Jamaica, Turks and Caicos, Canada, L.A., Houston. On the planet, there's four constants for African people. Number one, we're worshiping a white Jesus. I don't care where you go. Black people in love with a white Christ. That's number one. Number two, you have mass incarceration of black males at a rate four or five times their percentage of the population in that particular state. Number three, you have miseducation of black children. You have the over-identification of black children in classifications of mental retardation, ADHD, learning disabled. 
you have record numbers of single black mothers raising our children on their own, okay? And then on top of that, you also have a black economy, which is totally dominated by people who do not look like us. I don't care where you go on the planet, black people are not in control of their economy. Your rice, your bread, your milk, your sneakers, your hats, your clothing, your transportation, your electronics, everything you buy is being sold to you by somebody who don't look like you, but more importantly, don't care about you. What would be the solutions? Because, you know, this is a statement, but now what could be the solutions? Solutions are simple. And the solution hasn't changed as Marcus Garvey articulated it over 100 years again. Mm -hmm. And the solution is independence in all areas of human endeavor. The solution for African people is no different than the solution for Chinese people. The solution for African people is no different than the solution for the French people. It's the same. It's no secret. It's not hidden under a rock. We have to do what everyone else has done and has built ourselves up independently, economically, educationally, spiritually, socially, politically. We must become a power base, which we are not as we are today with all of our doctors, with all of our college educated folks, with all of our black capitalistic business owners who are only looking to get rich themselves but do nothing to raise the general economic condition of black people, we are still a race of dependence. If you live in France, you're dependent on the French government for this and for that. You're dependent on white business to provide your basic needs. America, it's the same thing. Africa, it's the same thing. Wherever we are, we are dependent on the white power structure where we live. There's four institutions that you must have in order to be considered an independent community. We don't have them nowhere in space and time at the same time. A hospital to protect African life, a supermarket, okay, for nutrition to preserve African life, education to prepare the next generation of African children for the role that they must play in the freedom struggle, and number four, a bank to finance the building of infrastructure and institutions and organizations and programs where we live. You cannot find those four things totally owned by African people anywhere on the face of the earth, but we will call ourselves free. There's two types of freedom. There's an F-R-E-E-D-O-M and there's an F-R-E-E-D-U-M-B. White people have the freedom. We have the freedom because we're too politically uneducated to recognize that it doesn't matter if you can drive a Mercedes. It doesn't matter if you can live in a white suburb. It doesn't matter if your black child can go to a white school. At the end of the day, what do you control? What do you own? What do you produce? What do you distribute? Marcus Garvey said, a race without power and authority is a race without respect. A race that doesn't respect itself automatically forfeits the respect of other people. So you say, where did we begin? Two things, education and economics. It's going to be hard to break the psychological chains of slavery as long as just about everyone in this room went to a white school to get their education, a white public school to get that education. And what is the function of public education? Whether it's UK, France, Austria, Germany, USA, it doesn't matter. The purpose of education for African children in a European context is to teach the African child that you are second place and that is where you will always stay. And the only way you can rise above it is if we give you permission to rise above it. The education system's job is to make sure black children never come to believe that they have a right 
to replace the white boy being in control. That was the next question I was going to ask you, because, you know, when we speak about African-Americans, do you think that African-Americans are truly and deeply aware of their African roots? Well, I don't think that's a question just for African-Americans. I think that's a question for Africans anywhere. Yeah, of course, but I'm speaking about this because you are from, from the United States. So of course right, I'm but right. I, I want to pan-Africanize the question, yes. though. Okay, all right. Because whether you're dealing with France, whether you're dealing with UK, whether you're dealing with black America, okay? So globally, yeah. Globally. It's no different. Canada, it's no different. So do you think that Afro-descendants are really aware of their African roots? I think that we are aware of the roots, but we are in denial of the roots, okay? This is why black women spend billions of dollars on perm, weave, blonde hair, green eyes, blue eyes. This is why educated black men, I don't care if they live in Paris, I don't care if they're in Austria, Holland, UK, Canada, US, or South Africa. Educated black men marry outside of their race more than the men of any other race put together because you hate yourself. And the reason, the reason why we do this is we actually think we can convince white people if we act white enough to accept us because we don't understand white supremacy and we don't understand eugenics. Eugenics is the science of exterminating the African DNA. It don't matter if you're light-skinned with green eyes. You still African. It don't matter if you're blue, black, purple with nappy hair. You still African. It don't matter if you and parents in Paris speaking French or the U.S. speaking English. At the end of the day, you carry the gene of Africa, and that gene of Africa is the most powerful DNA on Earth. We are the only people who can reproduce ourselves in every other group. I can make a baby with a Chinese woman. It's an African baby. I can make a baby with a French woman, it's an African baby. An Arab, an East Indian, a Native American, it's an African baby. You understand? The white man cannot reproduce himself in any other woman but one who looks like him because he's genetically recessive. I'm genetically dominant, and that's why he must eliminate me. Because in the natural order of things, if I do absolutely nothing, we can literally predict the date where he will no longer exist. So he has to make a decision. He either has to get rid of me first, before nature gets rid of him. So speaking about this, what is your feeling about interracial marriage? I don't support it. Why? I have nothing against white women or Chinese women or Arab women or East Indian women. But the black man belongs with the black woman. The first institution that has to be built is the black family. If you don't save that, you save nothing else. If you don't build that, you build nothing else. A white woman can't understand my struggle. A Chinese woman can't understand my struggle. And what black men fail to recognize, even when you marry white or Arab or Chinese or East Indian or Latino, that woman is still loyal to her race. So it doesn't matter if she had your baby. It doesn't matter if y'all got married. It doesn't matter if y'all sleeping with each other. At the end of the day, her loyalty is not to her husband. It is to her community. And at any moment that that community calls on her to do a job, she will do it. So even though you're laying on top of her, she's still in charge of you. I can't believe exactly what I'm hearing. We went to war in World War II to fight for the freedom of speech. We didn't fight for a freedom of speech of hatred. Many of our members, I'm the National Commander of Jewish War Veterans, and over 50,000 of our men died fighting for your right to speech speech here now. 
I don't understand why you come out with such hatred. Phil, excuse me, Phil, Mr. Muhammad, sir, you make me sick to my stomach with that. Because at the same time that you were fighting, you were not fighting for the freedom and independence of black people. Soldiers, black soldiers in segregated companies lost their lives on foreign soil there, but would have to come back and fight just to get a bite to eat and not have to go to the toilet on the side of the road somewhere in the bushes. So you're nothing but hypocrites, and you won't pull that small-time stuff over on me. We must look at the fact that we don't teach hatred. Everywhere we go as black people, we face hatred. Look at it. Look at it. Angel food cake, white people say, is white. Devil's food cake, you say, is black. You wear white to weddings and black to funerals. Black ball, black male. You give us a blonde-haired, blue-eyed, pale-skinned, buttermilk-complexioned Jesus in contradiction to the black Jesus with nappy hair in the Bible. Our own babies, according to behavioral, sci behavioral scientists, our baby girls, when confronted when choosing, with choosing between a black doll and a white doll, there has been so much damage done, they choose the white doll and say the black doll is ugly. So racism is everywhere and it's institutionalized. We cannot really be racist because racism is prejudice plus power. Nothing I say up here nor anywhere in the world will impact stop fronting, will impact on any white folks in this audience on your job, in politics, in economics, in housing, in the society. We don't have the power to do that, so we cannot be racist. You know what I'm The Willie Lynch Letter and the Making of a Slave The first Africans in America arrived through Jamestown, Virginia in 1619 as indentured labor or servants. From about 1619 to 1640, the laws throughout Europe and the Americas removed all human individuality from abducted Africans and named them property. The U.S. Supreme Court and Chief Justices like Roger B. Taney ensured that the law did not protect slaves, but imbued their white oppressors who physically mentally and psychologically abused them with full supremacy. No Negro, whether slave or free, could ever be considered a citizen of the United States, the Honorable Judge wrote. In 1640, Maryland became the first colony to institutionalize slavery in America, and in 1641, Massachusetts in its written legislation titled, Body of Liberties, stated that bondage was legal servitude. At that moment, changing the status of the African hostages to automatic chattel slaves, 
that could be bought and sold at the discretion of their white owners. The Willie Lynch Letter Gentlemen, I greet you here on the bank of the James River in the year of our Lord, 1712. First, I shall thank you, the gentlemen of the Colony of Virginia, for bringing me here. I am here to help you solve some of your problems with slaves. Your invitation reached me on my modest plantation in the West Indies, where I have experimented with some of the newest and still the oldest methods for control of slaves. Ancient Rome would envy us if my program is implemented. As our boat sailed south on the James River, named for our illustrious king, whose version of the Bible we cherish, I saw enough to know that your problem is not unique. While Rome used cords of wood as crosses for standing human bodies along its old highway in great numbers, you here are using the tree and the rope on occasion. I caught the whiff of a dead slave hanging from a tree a couple of miles back. You are not only losing valuable stock by hangings, you are having uprisings, slaves are running away, your crops are sometimes left in the fields too long for maximum profit, you suffer occasional fires, your animals are killed. Gentlemen, you know what your problems are. I need not to elaborate. I am not here to enumerate your problems. I am here to introduce you to a method of solving them. In my bag here, I have a foolproof method for controlling your black slaves. I guarantee every one of you that if installed correctly, it will control the slaves for at least 300 years. My method is simple. Any member of your family or your overseer can use it. I have outlined a number of differences among the slaves and I take these differences and make them bigger. I use fear, distrust, and envy for control purposes. These methods have worked on my modest plantation in the West Indies and it will work throughout the South. Take this simple list of differences and think about them. On top of my list is age, but it is there only because it starts with an A. The second is color or shade. There is intelligence, size, sex, status on plantation, attitude of owners, whether the slaves live in the valley, on a hill, east, west, north, south, have fine hair, coarse hair, or is tall or short. Now that you have a list of differences, I shall give you an outline of action, but before that I shall assure you that distrust is stronger than trust, and envy is stronger than adulteration, respect, or admiration. The black slave, after receiving this indoctrination, shall carry on and will become self-refueling and self-generating for hundreds of years, maybe thousands. Don't forget you must pitch the old black male versus the young black male. 
and the young black male against the old black male. You must use the dark-skinned slaves versus the light-skinned slaves, and the light-skinned slaves versus the dark-skinned slaves. You must also have your white servants and overseers distrust all blacks, but it is necessary that your slaves trust and depend on us. They must love, respect, and trust only us. Gentlemen, these kits are your keys to control. Use them. Have your wives and children use them. Never miss an opportunity. If used intensely for one year, the slaves themselves will remain perpetually distrustful. Thank you, gentlemen. Let's make a slave. The origin and development of a social being called the Negro. Let us make a slave. What do we need? First of all, we need a black nigger man and a pregnant nigger woman on, and her baby nigger boy. Second, we will use the same basic principle that we use in breaking a horse, combined with some more sustaining factors. We reduce them from their natural state in nature, whereas nature provides them with the natural capacity to take care of their needs and the needs of their offspring. We break that natural string of independence from them and thereby create a dependency state so that we may be able to get from them useful production for our business and pleasure. Cardinal Principles for Making a Negro For fear that our future generations may not understand the principles of breaking both horses and men, we lay down the art. For if we are to sustain our basic economy, we must break both of the beasts together, the nigger and the horse. We understand that short-range planning and economics results in periodic economic chaos. So that to avoid turmoil in the economy, it requires us to have breadth and depth in long-range, comprehensive planning, articulating both skill and sharp perception. We lay down the following principles for long-range, comprehensive economic planning. 1. Both horse and niggers are no good to the economy in the wild or natural state. 2. Both must be broken and tied together for orderly production. 3. For orderly futures, special and particular attention must be paid to the female and the youngest offspring. 4. Both must be cross-bred to produce a variety and division of labor. 5. Both must be taught to respond to a peculiar new language. 6. Psychological and physical instruction of containment must be created for both. We hold the above six cardinals as truths to be self-evident based upon the following discourse concerning the economics of breaking and tying the horse 
and nigger together, all inclusive of the six principles laid down above. Note. Neither principles alone will suffice for good economics. All principles must be employed for the orderly good of the nation. Accordingly, both a wild horse and a wild or natural nigger is dangerous even if captured, for they will have the tendency to seek their customary freedom, and, in doing so, might kill you in your sleep. You cannot rest. They sleep while you are awake and are awake while you are asleep. They are dangerous near the family house and it requires too much labor to watch them away from the house. Above all, you cannot get them to work in this natural state. Hence, both the horse and the nigger must be broken. That is, break them from one form of mental life to another. Keep the body and take the mind. In other words, break the will to resist. Now the breaking process is the same for the horse and the nigger, only slightly varying in degrees. But as we said before, you must keep your eye focused on the female and the offspring of the horse and the nigger. A brief discourse in offspring development will shed light on the key to sound economic principles. Pay little attention to the generation of original breaking, but concentrate on future generations. Therefore, if you break the female, she will break the offspring in its early years of development, and when the offspring is old enough to work, she will deliver it up to you. For her normal female protective tendencies will have been lost in the original breaking process. For example, take the case of the wild stud horse, a female horse and an already infant horse, and compare the breaking process with two captured nigger males in their natural state, a pregnant nigger woman with her infant offspring. Take the stud horse, break him for limited containment. Completely break the female horse until she becomes very gentle, whereas you or anybody can ride her in comfort. Breed the mare and the stud until you have the desired offspring. Then you can turn the stud to freedom until you need him again. Train the female horse whereby she will eat out of your hand, and she will train the infant horse to eat out of your hand also. When it comes to breaking the uncivilized nigger, use the same process, but vary the degree and step up the pressure so as to do a complete reversal of the mind. Take the meanest and most restless nigger, strip him of his clothes in front of the remaining male niggers, the female and the nigger infant. Tar and feather him. Tie each leg to a different horse faced in opposite directions. Set him afire and beat both horses to pull him apart in front of the remaining niggers. The next step is to take a bullwhip and beat the remaining nigger male to the point of death in front of the female and the infant. Don't kill him, but put the fear of God in him, for he can be useful for future breeding. The Breaking Process of the African Woman
Take the female and run a series of tests on her to see if she will submit to your desires willingly. Test her in every way because she is the most important factor for good economics. If she shows any signs of resistance in submitting completely to your will, do not hesitate to use the bull whip on her to extract the last bit of bitch out of her. Take care not to kill her, for in doing so, you spoil good economics. When in complete submission, she will train her offspring in the early years to submit to labor when they become of age. Understanding is the best thing. Therefore, we shall go deeper into this area of the subject matter concerning what we have produced here in this breaking of the female nigger. We have reversed the relationships. In her natural uncivilized state, she would have a strong dependency on the uncivilized nigger male, and she would have a limited protective dependency toward her independent male offspring and would raise female offspring to be dependent like her. Nature had provided for this type of balance. We reversed nature by burning and pulling one civilized nigger apart and bull whipping the other to the point of death, all in her presence. By her being left alone, unprotected, with the male image destroyed, the ordeal caused her to move from her psychological dependent state to a frozen independent state. In this frozen psychological state of independence, she will raise her male and female offspring in reverse roles. For fear of the young male's life, she will psychologically train him to be mentally weak and dependent, but physically strong. Because she has become psychologically independent, she will train her female offspring to be psychologically independent as well. What have you got? You've got the nigger woman out front and the nigger man behind and scared. This is a perfect situation for sound sleep and economics. Before the breaking process, we had to be alert and on guard at all times. Now we can sleep soundly, for out of frozen fear, his woman stands guard for us. He cannot get past her early infant slave molding process. He is a good tool, now ready to be tied to the horse at a tender age. By the time a nigger boy reaches the age of 16, he is soundly broken in and ready for a long life of sound and efficient work and the reproduction of a unit of good labor force. Continually, through the breaking of uncivilized savage niggers, by throwing the nigger female savage into a frozen psychological state of independency, by killing the protective male image, and by creating a submissive dependent mind of the nigger male slave, we have created an orbiting cycle that turns on its own axis forever. Unless a phenomenon occurs and reshifts the positions of the male and female savages. 
We show what we mean by example. Take the case of the two economic slave units and examine them closely. The Negro Marriage Unit We breed two nigger males with two nigger females. Then we take the nigger males away from them and keep them moving and working. Say the nigger female bears a nigger female and the other bears a nigger male. Both nigger females being without influence of the nigger male image, frozen with an independent psychology, will raise their offspring into reverse positions. The one with the female offspring will teach her to be like herself, independent and negotiable. We negotiate with her, through her, by her, and negotiate her at will. The one with the nigger male offspring, she being frozen with a subconscious fear for his life, will raise him to be mentally dependent and weak, but physically strong, in other words, body over mind. Now, in a few years, when these two offspring become fertile for early reproduction, we will mate and breed them and continue the cycle. That is good, sound, and long-range comprehensive planning. Warning. Possible interloping negatives. Earlier, we talked about the non-economic good of the horse and the nigger in their wild or natural state. We talked out the principle of breaking and tying them together for orderly production. Furthermore, we talked about paying particular attention to the female savage and her offspring for orderly future planning. Then more recently, we stated that by reversing the positions of the male and the female savages, we had created an orbiting cycle that turns on its own axis forever unless phenomenon occurred and reshifted the positions of the male and female savages. Our experts warned us about the possibility of this phenomenon occurring, for they say that the mind has a strong drive to correct and recorrect itself over a period of time if it can touch some substantial original historical base. And they advised us that the best way to deal with this phenomenon is to shave off the brute's mental history and create a multiplicity of phenomenon or illusions so that each illusion will twirl in its own orbit something akin to floating balls in a vacuum. This creation of a multiplicity of phenomenon or illusions entails the principles of crossbreeding the nigger and the horse as we stated above, the purpose of which is to create a diversified division of labor, the results of which is the severance of the points of original beginnings for each spherical illusion. Since we feel that the subject matter may get more complicated as we proceed in laying down our economic plan concerning the purpose, reason, and effect of crossbreeding horses and niggers, we shall lay down the following definitional terms for future generations. 1. Orbiting cycle means a thing turning in a given pattern. 2. 
Axis means upon which or around which a body turns. 3. Phenomenon means something beyond ordinary conception and inspires awe and wonder. 4. Multiplicity means a great number. 5. Sphere means a globe. 6. Crossbreeding a horse means taking a horse and breeding it with an ass, and you get a dumb, backward ass, long-headed mule that is not reproductive nor productive by itself. 7. Crossbreeding niggers means taking so many drops of good white blood and putting them into as many nigger women as possible varying the drops by the various tones that you want, and then letting them breed with each other until the circle of colors appear as you desire. What this means is this. Put the niggers and the horse in the breeding pot. Mix some acids and some good white blood, and what do you get? You got a multiplicity of colors of ass-backwards, unusual niggers, running, tied to backward-ass, long-headed mules, the one productive of itself, the other sterile, the one constant, the other dying. We keep the nigger constant for we may replace the mule for another tool. Both mule and nigger tied to each other, neither knowing where the other came from, and neither productive for itself nor without each other. Controlled Language Crossbreeding completed for further severance from their original beginning, we must completely annihilate the mother tongue of both the nigger and the new mule and institute a new language that involves the new life's work of both. You know language is a peculiar institution. It leads to the heart of a people. The more a foreigner knows about the language of another country, the more, is he, the more he is able to move through all levels of that society. Therefore, if the foreigner is an enemy of the country, to the extent that he knows the body of the language, to that extent is the country vulnerable to attack or invasion of a foreign culture. For example, you take a slave. If you teach him all about your language, he will know all your secrets, and he is then no more a slave. For you can't fool him any longer, and having a fool is one of the basic ingredients of and incidents to the making of the slavery system. For example, if you told a slave that he must perform in getting out our crops, and he knows the language well, he would know that our crops didn't mean our crops, and the slavery system would break down, for he would relate on the basis of what our crops really meant. So you have to be careful in setting up new language for the slave would soon be in your house, talking to you as man to man, and that is death to our economic system. In addition, the definition of words or terms 
are only a minute part of the process. Values are created and transported by communication through the body of the language. A total society has many interconnected value systems. All these values in the society have bridges of language to connect them for orderly working in the society. But for these language bridges, these many value systems would sharply clash and cause internal strife or civil war. The degree of the conflict being determined by the magnitude of the issues or relative opposing strength in whatever for. For example, if you put a slave in a hog pen and train him to live there and incorporate in him to value it as a way of life completely,